0: So you started a new job uh, this week, and I'm very anxious, as I'm sure if the listeners knew you had started a new job, they'd want to know about how your new first week on the job went. So why don't you uh, right. tell us?
1: So, okay, let me just rewind the clock for a couple of weeks. I actually uh, hadn't been looking for another job. It was sort of in the back of my mind. When I had taken the current job... Sorry, not the current job. The previous job. Uh, I had a conversation with my wife. We knew that there would be some travel, and we thought, you know what, we'll do it for two years. Um, it was a great opportunity. It was a great. Uh, it was a great opportunity. So, we decided to do, uh, take the job. Uh, I would do it for two years, and then we would reevaluate, and I would probably look for something else. Well, the travel was extensive, and, you know, for. For a family, and I have a youngish family, it was a little bit hard on everyone, so uh, we decided to sort of change the plan a little bit. We accelerated it, and uh, I kind of started looking with one eyeball, maybe a couple of months ago. uh, Threw out some resumes, got some bites, I found there were a lot of people that are in need of my skill and I got some very aggressive recruiters very aggressive companies that were like okay can we start next week Uh, you know that kind of stuff and I thought no that's that's crazy I'm not gonna work for those companies you know did some other uh, phone interviews with some and uh, just worked out that I got this new job at this other company, so I took it. And this was my first week. Uh, leaving my my previous employer was kind of hard. I did like the job. Uh, I felt like a little bit like I was letting them down, but in the end, uh, you have to look after a couple of things, and uh, one of them is your your mental health for sure. Uh, the job was very stressful, and it was important to me to take care of my mental health, which um, I did. You know, but I mean, understandably, they were a little bit upset, and I did leave them high and dry. And you and I talked about this uh, privately, uh, where, you know, I knew that I was leaving them in a position where they didn't have anybody to come in. They were, they run the company very lean. Essentially, I was leaving them in a very, very difficult position. So, I mean, I felt bad, but you had said to me, look, it's not your fault It's their fault that they've left themselves in that position. So that did help alleviate some of the guilt, but uh, it was important to me. Uh, I care about my employers. I'm maybe one of the rare people that cares about the job. I'm grateful that I had it. And yeah, so here I am. So new job. So first week, um, the first week was, I mean, understandably busy. Uh, a bit stressful because you're trying to take in, it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? You're you're t- trying to take in as much as you possibly can. But I will say this, uh, for such a large company, I was a little bit shocked at how much they kind of just left me on my own to figure things out a little bit, you know, on my own. Other than that, I do like the company. I like the company culture. I like the people. It was a good first week. So I'll just leave it at that.
0: But you had a, you had mentioned there was a some sort of onboarding process that seemed to be pretty organized and structured. Yes,
1: there is, uh, but it's automated. So it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I'm, I'm sure other companies use this. I'm going to, I'm going to name it. It's called day force. Yeah. And uh, the way they have it structured is that before you even show up, you start getting emails, you know, saying, okay, can you complete this step? Can you complete this step? You know, fill out your, uh, tax forms, fill out your, uh, you know, insurance stuff, fill out this. So that by the time you get there, your first week is not spent filling out forms, talking to accounting to get set up for pay, talking, you know, to all the various different departments. You've already done all that stuff. So that was really great. They also have this thing on your first day, get these things you know, lined up, you know, have, you know, your supervisor uh, or your boss introduce you to the key people, you know, meet the people that are under you, which I did. So I thought that was great. And then they also have like a, like a first week, you know, have this completed uh, after 30 days, you should be here after 60 days, you should be here 90 days. And then I think they skipped to six months and then a year. So, I mean, I, and when I saw that, I thought this is Pretty good. Um, Not all companies have that. It's uh, it's kind of nice to see that level of organization on that side.
0: So most of that was was logistical things that they didn't say specifically job job things. They were more like more about logistics and the starting of the job. Or did it actually get into by this point? You should have this milestone. In in the tasks that you'll do for the company, was that part of day force, or is it no. more like your email has been set up, your
1: your phone Those is set up, um, thirty sixty ninety? I think they get a little bit more deeper, but uh, I know that so like so for thirty sixty by by thirty days, you have should have sat down and laid out a thirty sixty ninety six months one year plan with your director or whatever it is, right? So. Um, those are the kinds of things. It's like a milestone checklist, which is good because it keeps everybody in check. Um, if you haven't checked it, it sends you these alert emails constantly. And then you need to go, and it, you know, uh, if you haven't sat down with your boss, you need to go and, and say, listen, we need to sit, set this plan in motion. So it's good. It keeps everybody accountable.
0: So your new job requires, it's a different, it's a commute now, a different commute than what yeah, you had before. Yeah, I'm taking
1: the train. Local train, not like uh, not for hours or anything like that. It's good. I, uh, I, I mean, it I, because I'm used to travel. I'm used to the culture of people squishing into places that they shouldn't be squishing into, or if they could just wait three <laughs> seconds, they could wait their turn. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, a little bit different dynamic in that it's a train, not a plane.
0: But also a very different commute in that before you used to get into a car and drive so much more
1: relaxing on the train i i I nap i read you know i look out the window and look at the scenery it's way more relaxing so much less stress yeah i've found that
0: i mean i used to drive for my old one of my old jobs it was part of it was being in the car and driving around a sales role and there were things i liked about it like i used that time to listen to the stuff things on the radio in today's world i would have i'd be listening to podcasts yeah. i think constantly that would be my books on tape i think i would i i used to drive upwards of two two-ish hours maybe you know out to like london ontario or places like that required hour plus type type yeah. drives but a lot of, sometimes they they were often with people as well so that didn't always make it like, like colleagues of mine would be but coming you had along, though. so it wouldn't make it yeah, so I had company, and it would be a nice way to get to know the people you worked with as well. I do, rec- I did even, and I had a. This was a company car at the time, but if I didn't have meetings or anywhere to go, and I even had a parking spot in the, in our building downtown, nice. I would still take the train sometimes because I still found it annoying driving home in the oh, Toronto. Toronto
1: traffic is horrible. And if you don't live in this city, I don't think you quite understand it. I know people that live in Chicago and LA and New York will say, Oh, the traffic there is horrible. Yeah, it is for sure. But I'm, I mean, every year they publish a list of the worst cities in the world to drive in. And Toronto is always in the top like five to eight or something. Hmm, oh yeah. Really? It's because I Because not it's, it's just a terrible place to drive. There's nowhere to expand the roadways. They've done everything they can. I mean, you can't expand the 401 anymore. It's got 16 lanes most of the time, uh, 12 in spots, 20 in some areas where they're collecting a lot of traffic. But, I mean, most of it is fairly large. There's no additional land, you know, to expand it even wider.
0: Toronto gets a bad rap for its public transit. But I think, depending where you live, you can actually have a very good tra- public transit, like East Shore. The Lakeshore line of the is GO good. train is a, is a kind of a luxury train line if you have to commute, if like say in from the East end, like Oshawa, Whitby, or the West end, Burlington, Oakville, the options, there's lots of them. It's it's pretty relaxing, it's quiet. Most The GO train versus a subway, very different commuting experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I used to commute in from Pickering, which is about, was about an hour if you didn't take the express train. I did so much reading. I read so many books. I, I quite enjoyed yep. it. So here's my, here's my big question for you about your new job. What's your office space like?
1: Um, it's pretty good. Uh, I have a window that looks down onto um, Young Street. And but did you get your yes. own office? Yep. Or are you in an yep. oh, open have office? Yeah, I my own office.
0: Uh, That's nice. Uh, That's very good. I really wanted, I don't want, because I don't wish it on anybody, but I really would have liked to have heard your experience in the open office Mm. environment. I uh, I have.
1: To me. I have that experience, though. Like, everywhere I've gone, I guess because I've had roles where, you know, I've had people that reported to me, and I also had to meet privately and discuss financials with particular um you know clients you need that private space and i know that they offer meeting rooms and boardrooms and things like that for open
0: think yeah. tanks think yeah, tanks, yeah
1: um But, you know, when we went to, when I went to the head office that I, in the company that I worked for before, we had two head offices. One was in Annapolis near uh, Washington, D.C., and another one was in Montreal. And both of those offices had open spaces. And um, they had limited number of think tanks or, you know, meeting rooms. And um, I am not a, Drop-in rooms, all these fancy terms. Yeah, that came up I'm with. not a fan of the open workspace. I am uh, like vehemently against it. Okay, not vehemently, vehemently strong, but I am strongly uh, for private workspace. Every time I went to work in Annapolis or Montreal because of the open workspace, people can talk to you all the time, anytime they want. They walk by, hey, how you doing? And you know, and and it's yep. fine if it's a hey, how you doing? But it's never a, hey, how you're doing. It's 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 a five to 10 minute conversation each time. And it's hard. You can't get away. You're like, you want to say, dude, I got to work. You know, stop. I, I'm i not getting anything done today. Um, but when I'm, you know, in my private office, I can close my door. And, and even just having a private office is almost enough for people to walk by. They'll knock on your door and say, hey, do you have in a minute? And you can easily say, you know what? Give me five. I'll come and see you. Right? So... It's nice to have a, a private office.
0: I was reading about or listening to a recent podcast that talked about open office environments and things like interrupting your boss and and how you, the, what made me think of it was when you mentioned the knock on the door, that the knock on the door, for those that do have offices, the knock on the door is also kind of a disorganized way of managing your time, not only for you, but of your boss. I think it's okay now and then, but the thing that, that struck me was ad hoc interruptions, which tend to be what open office environments promote, are actually really bad and disorganized ways of doing mm. business. That even a boss who, as much as, like, oh, I know what it was, is that it came under this premise of open door policy. Remember that term got invented? You sure know, do. Probably... 30 years ago, maybe longer. I seem to remember being a thing in the 90s, open door policies. And you started getting people who, I remember one person I knew saying, yeah, I never close my office door because I have an open door policy. It sounds really open or it it sounds sounds very, very, yeah, you make yourself approachable sounding. and, And when a door is closed, there's a signal that you shouldn't be interrupting that person. Well, guess what? In the old days, you would hope, when a door was closed, it meant somebody was actually getting something done.
1: Yeah. Or they were having a private meeting to which you were not invited. Or like one of my old bosses who used it
0: to sleep during his uh, lunch hour, which I would argue yeah, that's okay. I would too.
1: There are a lot of uh, companies now, like the Googles of the world and you know Facebook and things like that, where they have no problem with their employees sleeping. Um, they actually make... Private sleep pods available uh, and yes. sleep rooms, yeah. Um, and they don't have fixed hours, you know. So if you come in, I mean, generally the fixed hours are eight to five or eight thirty to five or nine to five or whatever it is, right? But you know, if you took a nap, it's expected that maybe today you go home at four thirty, that's fine. But at some point during the week, maybe you, you know, you work from uh, nine to six or nine to seven or something like, or you come in at ten and you work until eight or whatever it is. I think most people feel some obligation to say, you know, what I had a nap three days ago. I should probably make up those extra hours, just so that you know people sure. don't look. at we're me We're professionals. Now. Um, we're adults, and we can make that decision. Most people, I think, some people will take advantage, but those people won't stick around.
0: Well, I want to say, I want to finish up this topic. Yeah you know, your new, your new job, but this, this actual element of it. So, I did a little Google search, open plan office productivity research, and I'm only going to read you the headlines. Here's the headlines I read. New Harvard study. Your open office plan is making your team less collaborative. It's official. This is from entrepreneur.com. It's official. Open plan offices kill productivity. Mm-hmm. Here's another one from workfront.com. Work what science says about open offices and what they say here, because open office layouts have been around for so long, researchers have spent decades writing papers on the trend. Put simply, there's a lot of evidence that shows open offices decrease productivity. I agree. Every article. There is no open office plan. Here's from the Washington Post. 2018 article: Open office plans are as bad as you
1: thought. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. it. Everybody knows it, and yet there are companies out there. They're like, "Oh no, it's great, let's do it." There must be a financial reason. I, I'm sure there is because the less walls you have to build to create offices, the cheaper it is for the company to run, uh, or at least build the space. It is
0: all about yeah. cost. It's all about cost, and I did read also that people got really locked into this idea because of the tech companies like Google and and that that they were doing this so it fostered productivity or fostered creativity and collaboration. So guess what? To be new and different and trendy and and cutting edge, we should do what Google does even though we're an insurance right. company or a property management company that does not work on on the same types of projects no. and and I would argue that guys that are writing code for like tech companies the last thing they need is somebody tapping their shoulder every five minutes while they're trying to write well,
1: code. The argument there is that they don't just have open workspaces in cubicles or, or or desks where six or eight people can sit where it's completely open. They don't just have that. They have couches and beanbag chairs and open areas yes. where you can actually go and sit by yourself. Um, over in the corner on the beanbag chair. And so that's their argument. Well, you don't have to be with the collaborative group. You, if you need space and time to be alone so that you can concentrate, you can go over there in the corner and sit in the beanbag chair. <laughs> like, that's so stupid. I don't know. Are we old? Yeah. Is that what the problem is? Are we just old? Are We don't think the same way?
0: I don't know. I mean, I, I our offices are now all being designed with these types of things—these beanbaggy th- type chair things—and yeah. and it is nice to just like I'll, I'll I'll use the example of when I was in the office this week in New York. I haven't been around in a few months, so naturally, when you go in, it's all about seeing people and and just having hey, what are you doing in town? And you know, you have that conversation. But I went in fully. Knowing I would get nothing accomplished that day except do that—that was my day plan, which was just catch up with people. Because I I tried to do a couple of things, uh, and you know, the only way I could get any focus—and it wasn't just because people hadn't seen me—but this would be the same case if I was always there. The only way I could get people not to bother me was by putting my headset on that you use for conference calls. And I know for a fact people use them to keep people from interrupting. Yes, I know
1: they do. All right, anyway, so I started a new job. There we go.
0: In the vein of pet peeves, which we've really got into, certainly my, the open office pet peeve is, is one of mine, we've talked about the washroom topic, and I, I'm sure by now people...
1: No, okay, you have to clarify, because I actually I'm not even sure what you're talking about, the washroom topic.
0: No, we, well, we, we bring up ba- bathrooms seem to be a topic that
1: come up well, we all do bathroom duties. I mean, and look, let's face it. There's a very small portion of the population that doesn't like toilet humor. Everyone pretty much thinks that toilet humor is funny. Excessive toilet humor, not so much. But- I,
0: I think that... I, I just want to t- cover one vein of bathrooms or, or toilets Is is the... Attendant in the washroom. Oh yeah, you know you yes. you've seen this. Oh, I've
1: seen it. Yeah, so you and I. Just to clarify, you and I have had some pretty. Um I wouldn't say extensive experience with this, but we've had good experience with it because of the roles that we've been in. The companies that we've worked for have offered us the opportunity to dine and hotel at fairly decent establishments. And so, yeah, we've both had the experience of walking into the bathroom where there's been an attendant.
0: Yes. And I mean, I expect this sort of thing in nightclubs, like bars that that are nightclubs and bars, but you do occasionally see them in, I saw one in New York, when I was in New York in December, a very nice steakhouse, and you go down into the ba- bathroom, and then the door—you open the door to go in, and there he is, the guy <laughs> standing next to his tip basket and all his products, yes. you know, gum, breath mints, whatever else, I mean, it, it's depending on where you are. Sometimes it's you know, a, a condoms. Like it's <laughs> disgusting, really. <laughs> and you just want to go to the bathroom you know you're you're in the urinal yep. and you just feel this presence of this especially if it's just you and that person in there yeah and you you can feel the guy amping up for for when you're about to engage with them right you can you can just feel there's this as soon as you finish and turn around you're going to be engaged by this individual he's going to turn the tap on he's he's going to have his <laughs> t- his tissue there (laughs) ready to hand to you he's gonna oh the worst he's gonna have his little soap thing that he's gonna you're gonna hold your hand out for him so
1: he can go squirt squirt and you just once i would love to like not just just go to the bathroom and then leave and give him the nod like that curt nod hey and then just leave like not wash your hands no,
0: (laughs) no i just honestly to me it turns me off so much that i actually it it's something that would prevent me from going back to the restaurant it would be something that would cross wow. my... Like if okay. I remembered it, I would actually not go, go to a restaurant if I knew they had that. Huh. That's how strongly I feel about That's it. That's pretty strong. So maybe I'm overreacting, but I just... I really find it to be tacky is the, is the best way to describe it.
1: Be the rudest animal. I think there are a lot of people out there that would say cats... Cats suck, you know? And I know that there are a lot of women out there that are like, don't touch my cat. Cats are great. And they are. There's
0: men out out there who would say that. And I don't think you could say it's just a female
1: thing. Fair enough. But I think cats are, I mean, you know, without... Okay, I'll just say it. I think cats are assholes. But cats are just... They don't care about you. They don't. They come to you when they want. They're very, very selfish animals.
0: But why should an animal be in some sort of service to a human.
1: What? Why, why should it be? It's not about service. It is not about service at all. You look at a dog. Dogs don't service you, but they give constantly because they are just they just want to be with you. They're social animals and they, they want to hang out with you, right? Like, I don't know if you've had a dog in your lifetime. I have had both cats and no. dogs. And um, I, I like animals in general, any animal. Um, and I, and I do like cats, the cats that I've had, I've liked, but you know, you'll be petting a cat and after a while they're just, they freak out. They, you know, they'll, they'll be like, okay, I've had enough of you. And then they, they swat at you and, you know, or they'll dig their nails into your leg and, and then they're gone. you're like, you're a jerk, man. I was just giving you, you know, you were purring five minutes ago and now you're done. So you smack me in the face with your paw, like get lost. Just read a recent comment about
0: cats and names do they know their names and and the answer was cats do recognize their names however in many cases
1: they choose
0: not to acknowledge you
1: see yeah i I know i know that i've had cats they decide other direction when you call them right like you're like hey fluffy and then they're like yes and they look the opposite way um dogs on the other hand uh they're so excited all the time, right? Like if you leave to go get the mail and you come back, the dog's tail's wagging and it's like, oh my gosh, where were you? I thought you were gone forever. You know, like I. Yep. that's what makes dogs so much more appealing. Do dogs smell? Yeah. You know, are they hairy and shed? Sure. And that's why I don't have pets anymore because I don't want to clean my house every single day.
0: Well, on your, topic, on your topic of cats, this actually was a, a, a weird news story that I had, had found titled Man Walks Narrow Ledge to Retrieve Cat from Neighbors' Balcony. This was in Toronto, actually. Uh, James Powell, who lives across this, the building where the scene unfolded, captured video of the man walking across the narrow ledge between balconies to retrieve the cat. Mm-hmm. Six stories high, this guy was.
1: Obviously, yeah, no uh, no thought of safety for himself, which is a nice quality, but a little bit dangerous. If
0: you watch the video of the guy, it's it's a narrow ledge. It's not a balcony. He, so he goes from his balcony to the neighbor's balcony a- across this ledge that sort of juts out from the building. And it's probably hard to tell in the video, but maybe two feet of, of concrete sticking out. So, it's not super
1: thin, but... Six stories up, I bet you it feels thin. But he
0: just walks across. He goes, reaches down into the neighbor's balcony, picks up his cat, and starts walking back to his balcony. And I'm thinking, does a cat feel safe being carried by a human across this ledge? What if it, like, went nuts and, like, tried to scratch him? Or it just... When you see the video, and I'll post a link to it in the show notes, but you just think this is a very dumb idea. Very dumb. Toronto police said the man's actions weren't illegal, but they urged residents not to try to repeat the stunt. I love those types of comments by the police. Yeah, they urge people not to repeat the stunt. Well, stunt.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Cats. That's a jerk animal. What's a jerk animal for you? I, I
0: would. I would argue that that a cat is a jerk animal. I, yeah, based on just what we talked about and the whole name thing. Jerk animals. I mean, some dogs can be jerk animals, as you know by my pr- private previous episodes with um, dogs that that chased me the other day. I saw a dog, a large dog. This was in Tokyo, walking, and it was and it wasn't leashed. And I did it. it I had a little tiny feeling of nervousness just based on that incident that occurred with the dogs chasing after me in Malaysia.
1: Yeah, I get that. I understand. Yeah. Yeah, but those are wild dogs. That's different. We're talking about domestic. No, they
0: weren't wild. They were in people's yards and on leash. I mean, they were looked like they though. were wild, but they they were wild in a sense, but they weren't like stray dogs, those dogs, although they f- seemed like they were stray dogs.
1: but Yeah. Okay, so here's another one then. Uh, what's your definition of a sandwich? I mean, bare bones definition of a sandwich. What defines a sandwich? We're talking- A sandwich? Yeah, go ahead. Two- Two
0: pieces of bread with something inside it, like meat. Okay, all right. with With some cheese, so it's something you hold with your hand. Yep. It's two pieces of bread, and I would argue that I would allow for the open face sandwich. I I, I think that is a, is okay as far as definition of sandwiches is the open face, which doesn't have a top. Oh no! And it's just. Open face. Okay. But I, I allow that under the definition of sandwich, the open face variation. All right.
1: So, by that definition, n- uh, not necessarily the open face, but the, the previous one where you said, you know, two pieces of bread with something in between. Often it's meat, or, I mean, you can have a veggie sandwich, but we're talking stuff in between two pieces of bread. Yes. By that definition, is a hot dog a sandwich? It is not. All right. Why?
0: Because a hot dog has its own standalone. Name for itself. I mean, if it was in a menu and it said had a list of sandwiches and hot dog showed up as item four, hot dog with chili sauce or chili dog, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be put off by it. Like I wouldn't be tempted to say to the the owner, "Hey, this doesn't belong under sandwiches." <laughs> I don't feel that passionate about it. Right. But yeah. I would say that if you said, "Is a hot dog a sandwich?" No. My, my instinct is to say no because it's got it's it's a bun and it's 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 the way it's placed in the bun it's not a sandwich to me
1: all right i'm going to argue that by the definition of a sandwich it is a sandwich it is a piece of meat or something well in this case it's a piece of meat between some might
0: argue it's not it's definitely something but not necessarily meat but
1: right it's between you know a piece of bread that has been split in half so essentially forms two pieces of bread and you've got uh you've got meat in there and and it would even by open face definition it would satisfy that criteria so it's it's a sandwich my friend
0: i'm not passionate enough about it to argue against you so okay
1: (laughs) sorry if you were looking for something more passionate no um, i just i came across it i thought it was an odd question and i thought it was funny All right, one more. Um, Let's just say you're a mad scientist, and uh, you're going to conduct a scientific experiment. And if money and ethics weren't an issue, what experiment would you undertake? So you're a mad scientist. What scientific experiment would you run if money and ethics weren't an issue? Money and ethics. Hmm. Unlimited amount of money, no ethical restraints whatsoever
0: cloning a human
1: yes that's what i would do uh okay what would you clone clone yourself would you clone your wife it would for the purposes of the
0: you said no no ethics and morals i guess but i i would be tempted to clone a third party that i did not know I wouldn't choose to to clone a person that I know or me, okay. although that would be extremely interesting, I would not choose to do that. I would pick rather pick a random somebody I did not know and try to clone a woman or man the quick answer a man
1: okay, is there a deeper reason why
0: no, I don't think so. I just i guess i my imagination of it. I think of it being a man that I'm trying to clone for whatever reason. That's what jumps. That's my first natural answer.
1: Okay, I've actually thought about this a lot, and so I have di- various different ways that I would go. If uh, if money and ethics weren't an issue, I would definitely uh, clone a human being. Um, but I- I've thought about it in different ways. So if it were s- if it were unsafe, I would definitely not experiment cloning someone that I knew. Uh, if it were safe, if there were no issues, I think I would definitely clone either myself or my wife. And I mean, for my wife, there's only one reason why I would do that. Just the whole idea that, you know, you have more than one woman and she probably wouldn't be jealous because, uh, it's her. So, you know, like there wouldn't be that jealousy. She'd just be like, oh, that's me times two. Um, but then... Is it partially a risk management thing, too? Like, what, so, you, like, one isn't like, in a bad mood, I could go to the other one? <laughs> or you lose one, God
0: forbid. Oh, yeah.
1: God, for sure. That's
0: an interesting idea. Obviously, this is the reason for the the ethical and the moral side of things. I mean, I do, I do not buy into at all the fact that, like, things like trying to work, like like, stem cell stuff, to me, does not touch... The lodge, right. the whole unethical, or I mean, there are religions, of course, that would say that's immoral to try to do any sort of stem cell growth. That that I think, I think less people feel that strongly about it. But I think what was it, George W. Bush uh-huh. was yeah. vehemently no, it was George H. W. Mister Older Bush said he was. I think he actually flipped his decision on this, that originally he was very much against the idea of stem cell research. And then I think he actually changed his opinion and went, went the other way.
1: I think the, the real issue with stem cell research is that the, I think the strongest um, and most, um, I don't know how to word this, I guess the best, I'll just say the best, the best, stem cells that they can harvest come from unborn uh, ch- child embryos. So mm. okay. that's where the ethics comes into play because, you know, do you just harvest embryos in a Petri dish to get uh, stem cells? Or, you know, or, or do, you, do you take them from aborted fetuses while they're still, you know, before they're aborted? Um, which I think is... Yeah. You know, that's for a whole other discussion, and I don't want to get into it, but uh, that's where the ethics question comes into play with that. But I think they've also found that with stem cells, you can get some pretty decent um, samples from um, placentas after a child has been born. Mm. So... That's a pretty strong... Right. And I think once that's happened, then you're not really playing in the ethics world. You're saying this is something that happens anyway. After the birth of a child, the placenta comes out and you're like, you know, you could take all you want from whatever's available in that placenta. I don't think anybody has an ethics issue with that. I think where it gets into ethics is when you're, um, you know, playing the mad scientist and experimenting with um, cloning, I think you start to go, uh, well, what are we cloning for? Because I think if ever if you sat in a quiet room and thought about it and were very very honest with yourself, let's say for instance uh, you were in an accident and you lost a leg or an arm or you had a spinal injury that didn't allow you to walk, and you could somehow get the same like gene combination or whatever it is that they need uh to grow another arm or you know, inject something into your, like, could they give you, I think people start to get funny about the idea that you could have another human being and then just harvest limbs from them, right? And say, well, Mm -hmm. this is me times two. This is the second version of me and, but I'm the original. So, uh, I'm going to take the arm off of that guy and then put (laughs) it on me, right?
0: (laughs) But what about that poor
1: guy who loses his
0: arm? The guy is the second you, what is he though? Like, is he just... I don't
1: know. I that don't know if he's alive then, or what. I don't freaky. know. I have no idea. And is he have feelings does, sure. and emotions it's very freaky. and that
0: you decide, yeah. like, he could say, well, why do you get my arm? Like, why don't, you know, yeah. that doesn't make sense. I know. Boy, that's that's weird. That is weird science for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's going way beyond what science has ever intended. And I mean, think about it. I, you know, I'm I'm 48. Like, to, to clone another 48-year-old man that's identical to me, how would you even do that? I mean... You you'd have to accelerate the growth. It's like, incredible. So yeah, it would, it would it's it's not even possible. I mean, at this point in in our life, and yeah, what well, I got? Why don't you just clone
0: Simon at twenty? Like bring Simon at twenty back, or Simon as a baby, and he he's there as backup. I don't know, like or you know we get you. But then you then I guess if your leg needed to be replaced, you'd have to put like a, a 17-year-old Simon's leg on a 48-year-old Simon's body.
1: I, I'm more interested in having that done for sure and then somehow extracting like the brain of what I know now and putting it in, you know, the 20-year-old Simon and then seeing how far you could go as a human being with all the accumulated knowledge of 50 years or 60 or 80 years old and then it's like okay it's, i'm on my deathbed now um put me into that 20 year old you know with the awesome you know body and all this life ahead of them could you imagine no imagine the knowledge you would you'd be you'd take over the world